Good morning. This is Jay Westerveld with my weekly show, Tales and Trails, where we talk about a little of everything, um, a lot of cultural stuff, natural history. And uh, we've gotten into, a, you know, really kind of a trend toward talking about getting outdoors. Uh, COVID-19, of course, has had people sort of locked in, uh, kids doing remote classes and things like that. So uh, that's this has been more what we talk about is ways for people to get outside, uh, especially kids. So I've had some great guests recently. In, in fact, last week, um, my dear lifelong friend Joe Fatino, who runs Back in the Games Sporting Good Consignment in Florida, New York, uh, was my guest. And it was really interesting to hear from Joe about how many things, how, how many um, avenues for growth have changed for kids. You know, I hear about it, my, my child's quite small, so for me, uh, you know, things like high school sports and collegiate sports aren't on the forefront. And myself in college, I was actually a collegiate surfer and rugby player, so it wasn't, those weren't really things that, that would be so affected. Uh, I wasn't really doing a lot of other team stuff. But it was really interesting to hear from Joe about how here in New York State, where high schoolers aren't allowed to do a lot of the team sports that they may have in previous seasons, while kids in neighboring states such as Pennsylvania and New Jersey are doing those sports and advancing onto various uh, you know, university trajectories. It's, it's a very strange model we see with this uh, nation of home rule, where each state does have its own separate laws. But um, what I've been doing and what I've been suggesting to people like crazy uh, ad nauseum on this show is getting outside and skiing and snowboarding. I ski and snowboard every season, and I have since I was a tyke. And um, being stuck here stateside, I'm, I'm typically overseas, uh, you know, I rediscovered a place from, not just from my youth, but from some of my 20s and 30s, Mountain Creek across the border in New Jersey. And right here in Warwick, New York, uh, in fact, one of our advertisers here on WTBQ, Radio Worth Listening To, is Mount Peter, the place where I first skied when I was really tiny. And it's, to this day, uh, a really unique, extraordinary experience uh, where you go to a place that doesn't have big long lift lines, this clanging cafeteria, but rather this quiet bucolic ski experience on um, a mountain that's not quite so big, but has wide cruising trails and just a, a, an incredible learning area. And uh, the ski school director over there, Bob Gallo, just ensures that he gives a really solid traditional lesson to guests who come to that school. It's, it's a cool place. It's been family run by the same family for, I'm trying to think. The uh, marketing manager was my guest just about a month ago. And I mean, it certainly, I think he said possibly 80 years, the same family. That doesn't seem possible. Anyway, um, I think the resort's been in operation for 80 years. I, I know for over 50 years, the Sampson family has owned it uh, well over 50 years. But, you know, there are a lot of ways to get out. And one of the reasons this show even started was because I, I ran into a fella with whom I became friends recently, uh, Stephen Keeter, uh, who lives right here in the village of Warwick. And uh, he's he's got a hotel project that I was hearing about it uh, when I was overseas. I had a lot of people reaching out to me enraged that uh, a hotel was coming into uh, Warwick and um, wanting me to get involved. Uh, you see, classically, um, I've been involved in a lot of environmental pursuits. Um, activism but not for the sake of activism I, I really was never interested in being um identified with activism uh, for a number of reasons and um and certainly never politics in in any form and so to me activism almost uh shrieks of, of politics but i i have actively um fought some ugly developments right here in orange county within the greater town of warwick is the glenmare reservoir in the village of florida beautiful beautiful village one of the prettiest in the state and just an hour from new york city run by a great guy mayor dan harder who has been my guest previously and will be again very soon and uh this one reservoir has new york state's largest population of the only frog species that's endangered in this state not only is it the largest it's almost the only population uh remaining when i was a little boy back in the 60s and 70s 
These frogs, called the eastern cricket frog, formerly the northern cricket frog, were everywhere. You could hear them in any farm pond or wetland. And I spent a lot of time running around in farm ponds as a little guy. And these frogs would, you know, sometimes be in my boots when I'd come out of the pond. And they were everywhere. And they disappeared uh, from just about every site in the state. And so New York and then New Jersey followed suit. Pennsylvania followed suit listing these frogs because they were shocked that this one species of frog just was disappearing, almost gone. And we found that here in New York State, right in the town of Warwick, the largest and last or virtually last population of them uh, still exists. There are about four other populations that are very, very sketchy right now as far as their viability. And uh, so this lake, this reservoir, Glenmare Reservoir, was slated to have a an almost 500-unit uh, adult uh, living facility on one end. It, in other words, condos encircling the south arm, a beautiful old hotel was being refurbished and unfortunately expanded on a, a little severely and that was causing a problem. And then the greatest threat to this reservoir, both to these endangered frogs and maybe far more critically to the residents who drink that water, was that um, the state of New York uh, Department of Environmental Conservation was helping to push a plan to introduce herbicides into the lake that these herbicides are toxic. Uh, they have to be by nature and uh, they're known to have some pretty bad health effects with a lot of vertebrates, meaning animals with spines of which humans are a member. Most of us anyway have spines, not all. And uh, so we fought this severely for the residents who drink that water, uh, you know, for whom the New York State Department of Environmental Conservation was essentially taking a stance. We're from the, the government, we're here to help. And what it turned out was that the regulators in that state agency who were there to oversee the safety and efficacy of these programs of using herbicides in public drinking sources all had financial stakes, very direct financial stakes in this, the chemical company that actually distributed and in some case the one that manufactured this specific chemical. Nobody has the deep pockets to go ahead and fight a state agency who's involved in, in that level of uh, corruption. And when you do, as a taxpayer, you're paying for their defense as well as for your own case. So it just, it doesn't quite work. So what we did was we used good science. We brought in astonishingly uh, well-versed biologists from all over the country to come in and argue the case against the very policymakers who were financially uh, vested in the project. And we were able to hold off on that. Now, Mayor Dan, the, the new old mayor of Florida, his grandfather was the mayor for a very long time, and he did a great job keeping the drinking water safe for everyone, keeping everything nice. He's making great strides forward in removing the uh, incredible vegetative overgrowth of this reservoir and, and making it better for the people who live there without noxious and, in many cases, toxic chemicals. So... For that reason, I got kind of well-known again here at the beginning of this century um, after you know not being involved in too many environmental pursuits. And a lot of people who were then very upset about this hotel coming in, the Pulpit Rock Inn uh, Boutique Hotel in Warwick, New York, right on the outskirts of the village, were reaching out to me saying, hey, you know, you saved Glenmare Lake, save this piece of land from this horrible hotel. You know, they're going to destroy Pulpit Rock. As I say often on the show, I'm not only a native here, I'm a seventh generation uh, Warwickian. Um, and uh, I said, well, you know, Pulpit Rock, I don't really know of any biological significance to it. Uh, I played around there a lot as a kid or a teenager walking from high school sometime to my buddy's houses in town. And, no, honestly, mom, I was, I was staying late at school uh, working on projects. And uh, there was never anything significant there. It was an agricultural field of uh, incredibly low diversity and uh, really poor soil. And I, I thought it was odd that people were very upset about it. And then they were saying, well, it's, you know, it's a beautiful spot. We want to preserve the, uh, the ambience around the village, encircling the village. And, you know, my next question was, well, what about all these other projects that encircle the village that will certainly destroy that bucolic ambience? 
And their answer, well, it, it's kind of convoluted. And I think after a quick word from our sponsors, uh, we can talk about that. Sam's Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. This is Rocket Richie, the play-by-play guy. And this is Ryan Gosker, color commentator, reminding you the only place you can listen live to Warwick Wildcats football is right here on WTBQ. Brought to you by The Breezy and by St. Anthony Community Hospital. This is Jeff Berkman, and I invite you to tune in to the Wednesday Morning Roundtable on Radio Worth Listening To. New Jersey and Orange Free Radio. Free to express your opinions every Wednesday at 10 a.m. And we're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld and my weekly show here where we talk about nature and culture and getting outside. And uh, to that end, I've been talking a lot about uh, things to do during the winter where a lot of people can't think of great ways to get outdoors. And uh, in the near future, we're going to talk about some cool springtime and summertime activities to get everyone active and out in the fresh air here at uh, WTBQ, radio worth listening to. But I've been talking on on that note about getting outdoors and outdoor recreation and and, uh, studying nature about the very project that brought us to have this radio show at all. And that is the Pulpit Rock Inn Boutique Hotel slated for Warwick, New York. It's presently before the planning board um, it looks like there should be no major impediment to moving it forward. It, it, it's, I would have called it a negative declaration for uh, environmental issues. There's certainly no protected species on or anywhere near the site, no um, habitat of unique local importance or anything like that, no great historical artifacts other than the sort of arrowheads and spear points that we would find in virtually any backyard here in this town and many other towns around here. So it, it's been kind of a strange thing. And, and you know, it sort of makes one raise a skeptical eyebrow if, if, if one has a, an open mind uh, prone to critical thought or any background in science. Why was a very vociferous group of people um, passionately screaming against uh, a hotel, a, bo- a small boutique hotel going in on this site, uh, 9.9, so essentially 10 acre site, of uh, very low uh, biodiversity, extremely low historical importance. And um, the answer that they gave me, and they, meaning the people who reached out to me and asked me to please get involved in their fight and protect this site from this, you know, allegedly horrific development. And I'd said to a few of these people back and forth in messages, usually they, it was so odd. They were using intermediaries to contact me. All of a sudden, everyone was, you know, James Bond or Jason Bourne about the whole thing, which I, I found really curious. And, um, you know, I, I told these people, there's nothing of great biological significance there. Well, if you look, they'd say, uh, you, you can find bog turtles or cricket frogs or something, you know, that you've you've worked with. And no, the site wouldn't support either of those things. And um, then they were saying, well, they, you know, there's rare endangered bats living there. And my point was, well, no, there aren't. And even if there, there were, they only roost in trees during certain times of the year. And the state allows people to remove those trees so that the bats don't return uh, prior to uh, cutting them. And this went on and on. And, and then finally on social media and through more conversations, people were suggesting to me that I somehow get involved in releasing endangered animals uh, illegally on the property to help them. And that's when I sort of had it. And I wrote a letter to the editor stating that, look, there's a lot of outcry and it's mostly from people who are very new to this region against putting a hotel on this very ecologically barren little lot. And um, 
Yeah, I wanted to set the record straight that despite the uh, truthiness of the things that were out there, that from an ecological point of view, there was nothing to really protect there. In fact, and drum roll please, uh, an intelligently crafted boutique hotel design such as this one, which actually takes up less than one third of the total 10 acre site, could improve the ecology of the site. It could improve the habitat enrichment. It could improve the biodiversity, meaning the number of different kinds of plants and of animals that would use the site. Further, the more we looked at this, uh, it seemed that a hotel could be one way to open the site up to the public to use it and enjoy it as well. And so then I heard from the, the gentleman uh, who owns the site, he'd bought it a few years ago, and uh, he's been living here for over 20 years, uh, Mr. Stephen Keeter, and he said, why don't you come talk to me? I, I found your letter to the editor very compelling, and you sort of made the arguments that I felt but hadn't articulated and we met in his office and he said why don't you help me to design something really green and he's an intelligent guy he'd done his homework about me and if anybody googles me and my name uh, you'll see that you know I got some notoriety uh, quite a long time ago for coining um, a word that's used a lot in environmental science uh, especially the sociology of it and that's the word is greenwash or greenwashing and that's just the all it means is that someone uses the false veneer of something being ecologically sensitive or ecologically helpful to push their project forward typically and in this case it was funny the opponents of this project were greenwashing this uh little fight they had and you know, to this day, almost, I'm, I'm still not sure why they were doing it, but a lot of it, I'm not a sociologist, but it seems to have to do with social currency. The same exact people, uh, right down to the person, name for name, are, they've all jumped ship and they're now on something else that doesn't have to do with environmentalism, but a, another uh, activist um, endeavor here in the town of Warwick. So it seems like that's what they do without actually having um, firsthand uh, knowledge or experience in a, a given science and applying it as such. They sort of just like to be self-styled activists. Perhaps they really enjoy the notoriety of that. Um, I know that has to be really exciting perhaps to someone who hasn't other talents for which to gain notoriety. So, and you know, I'm just, I'm spitballing that one, but I, it's not my job to try to figure out the motives of people like this, but they were, they had no science backing up their claims. This site is incredibly barren and uh, this hotel will do wonderful things. Believe it or not, many do. I've spent a lot of time at beautiful ecotourist sites, including hotels that actually do great things for the wildlife around them. One of my favorite is in Sonoma County, California, uh, north of San Francisco, the Bodega Bay Lodge and Spa. And it's great because if you go to wine country there in Sonoma County, um, it, it's a great place right on the ocean in the greater town where the movie The Birds, Alfred Hitchcock's The Birds was filmed. Uh, but the Lodge and Spa is cool in that they took an area of pasture land that goes right down to the beach in this town, right on the Pacific Ocean, and it, it, it's kind of cool. It has a sort of a, a breaker jetty out past it and a natural bay with a big, beautiful rock called Bodega Head. And they put in a hotel and surrounded it with beautiful native plantings, small wetlands that bring in these great calling frogs that, you know, naturally make you sleep better at night. And the wetlands uh, have just beautiful plantings that smell great and bring in near innumerable species of hummingbirds and stuff and the bird the bird nesting especially shorebirds uh sites that they have that some of them are actually uh man-made are really wonderful for nature watching and prior to that this was just kind of a barren piece of shoreline uh, not as barren as the pulpit rock site presently is but relatively barren to its surroundings and they made it something better and after a lot of discussions with and going over plans with Mr. Keeter and his team of really great experts, uh, we sort of moved things around a little to make it even more ecologically, not just ecologically friendly, but a great step forward, a tremendous ecological positive, both in terms of enriching 
the Regional Ecology of Warwick, New York, and specifically this one site, but also in terms of making a place for the public to get out and recreate. Because it's a private site, the hotel, and once it's up and running, it will continue to be private, the facilities will be for the use of hotel guests and, of course, because it's private at the pleasure of the owner, residents of the town of Warwick. So what this means is without having to go before public votes and hearings, et cetera, about how to open a park and keep it relegated strictly to residents of a given municipality, this piece of private property will allow Warwick residents alone to use it, which is really kind of, or of course, residents of the hotel uh, who pay to uh, stay there with a room, uh, which is going to be really nice for city dwellers who want to take in some great ecotourism that's not that sort of canned, oh, let's go bird watching today. Oh, you know, let, it's going to be something quite unique in that just the ambient ecology, right as you step out the door of one of the eight cottages of your choice in the hotel, not to sound like an ad, but it's part of the eco-integration we've been doing for the place, or if you stay in the main lodge of the hotel, the main hotel building, when you step out of the door, you will immediately be surrounded by garden plantings of pollinator-friendly plants, and especially those that attract and sustain hummingbird populations, which will be kind of unique for New York State. Now, when you stay, there are a couple of places along Long Island, uh, especially out uh, in the Hamptons and toward the Easter, eastern section of East Hampton in Montauk, where there are good hummingbird plantings, and you're sure to see a lot of them. But again, that's coastal ecology. You have a different suite of um, creatures that tend to visit gardens there. So here, we'll have a place where guests can kind of in the summertime always be up close with hummingbirds and many species of butterflies, many of which are at-risk species right now. And this is going to be very nice because it will allow people, especially families uh, staying there, to sort of up close and natural without having to be in a museum or a zoo, see beautiful butterflies of many colors and types there, including our monarchs, which are a species that had been declining somewhat critically and are now thankfully making a comeback. We'll have specific pollinator plants for other species of butterflies as well. As far as other birds, aside from hummingbirds, well, just on the edge of Warwick, New York, in Sugarloaf, there's a community, a religious community, who has a purple martin box that successfully has brought in purple martins. And this is about six miles away from the Pulpit Rock site as the purple martin flies. And purple martins live in those kind of cool colony houses that we sometimes see on old farmsteads. Often they're made to replicate the farmhouse itself, especially in wealthier estates. And those used to house these big populations of purple martins that would eat the more pesty insects and not so much butterflies. And these birds also have been locally or had been locally extirpated like a lot of other insectivorous birds. That means birds that eat insects, of course, insectivores or insectivorous uh, species. And so a lot of our birds, like the kestrel, which is our tiniest falcon, a uh, little cousin to the peregrine falcon, and also used for hunting and for training falconers, and the screech owl, which is its nocturnal counterpart, a tiny owl that makes a, a cute little wh whistling sound at night as opposed to hooting, those had really declined locally. They were all but gone uh, from much of the Hudson Valley. And they've recently made comebacks as various pesticide compositions and applications have changed. What had happened here in this part of the world um, back in the 60s and well into the 70s was a state and federal response to gypsy moth caterpillars, an alien caterpillar that would arguably strip a mountainside, and I saw it a lot as a child, of a lot of the deciduous, that means uh, non-evergreen trees, uh, their leaves. So the state sprayed like crazy uh, all of these mountainsides in our region, some of the fields even, with some severely noxious pesticides. There's an irony here. People are always worried about pesticides on food crops, and I'm no fan of it myself, and the reason for that is those are the things that we eat directly, so we see a more direct uh, connection to our bodies and our own health with it. 
These pesticides that are typically used on food crops pale by contrast in toxicity to, to those that were spread over wild areas by state agencies and federal agencies uh, well into the 1970s. In fact, the pesticides that were being proposed for the Glenmare Reservoir drinking uh, water source for Warwick residents who reside in the village of Florida, uh, these were also really frighteningly toxic herbicides that were being pushed because again, the state regulators uh, had vested interests in those companies that produce them. And after a quick break, we'll talk more about that. Sam's Mead Warehouse has been supplying restaurants and shops with the highest quality local and sustainably sourced prime and choice wholesale meat, steaks, poultry, seafood, and much more for over 20 years. Whether you're a small family butcher shop or a busy steakhouse, expect A1 service and the finest products available. Call Sam's at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off Route 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Dr. Pierre-Louis, a clinical psychologist. I will take your calls and I will answer all your personal and business relationship questions, helping you create a life healthy in mind, body, and spirit every Friday at 11 a.m. Do you have a car problem? Maybe it's a mechanic problem. Maybe it's not. Sounds like a job for me, Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor. That's right, Sunday mornings at 8. Get up early, let's hang out, let's talk about cars, let's all get smarter, let's solve some car problems. Ron and Annie and the Car Doctor, here Sunday mornings at 8. WTBQ, GHT Weather. Well, today continues a bit on the cool side, but it is a good trend as we are looking at warmer weather the rest of the week for today's sunshine and into the low 40s. Increasing clouds and a little bit colder tonight down to the upper 20s, and then the temperatures start flying for tomorrow, Tuesday, sunny skies, mid-upper 50s. Same thing for Wednesday, staying sunny with highs again in the mid-50s. Could be up into the 60s with a mix of sun and clouds for Thursday with our next chance of rain end of the week. From the WTBQ Weather Center, I'm WeatherWorks meteorologist Chris Castellana. WTBQ. And we're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld on our weekly show where we talk about nature and culture and getting outdoors, recreating, nature watching. And we talk about some global stuff too sometimes. Uh, right now though, because of COVID-19, I've been talking more on these shows about getting out and recreating just because I see that as a more critical issue. Uh, for families and individuals alike, uh, just to get out, get some fresh air, get some sunshine. And, you know, even before we think about uh, pharmaceuticals and vaccinating uh, against this uh, terrible virus, we have to remember that wellness itself uh, can be a nice first step. I'm not in any way suggesting uh, an al alternative to vaccination. Um, regardless of my own personal feelings, what I am suggesting is that being healthy and keeping yourself fit, filled with fresh air, getting some nice vitamin D from the, the sun as much as possible, getting good sleep, uh, making sure your body manufactures all the chemicals that it should, and that's done through darkness when you sleep and brightness during your day, uh, that these can be very helpful in fighting this uh, terrible uh, pandemic infection. And, um, so I've been kind of pushing people towards skiing and snowboarding and snowshoeing and bird watching this winter. And as springtime comes on, I'm going to be talking about the great uh, opportunities in getting out hiking and mountain biking. In fact, uh, our guest for next week here on WTBQ Radio Worth Listening To is a gentleman who uh, oversees a mountain bike park uh, within an hour of New York City, right over at the Mountain Creek site. That's gonna be very interesting. And um, one of the cool things about that park and many other um, attractions here in the Hudson Valley, including Mount Peter Ski Area right here in Warwick, is that this Pulpit Rock Inn Boutique Hotel will try to, well, it won't try to, they plan to and will, uh, once they get their approvals and they're up and running, uh, run a service to get people to various ski resorts, to wineries, to breweries, 
to the mountain bike park over at Mountain Creek and to nature areas such as the incredibly vast, wild, open and sunny, which is rare for a nature area in this part of the, the world. They're usually wooded. Um, Wallkill River National Wildlife Refuge uh, that's in Sussex County, New Jersey with a tiny little tip that falls over into New York right here in Warwick. And that's one of my favorite sites uh, to which I send people for nature watching. But jumping back to the Pulpit Rock site, we were just talking about how uh, chemical uh, pesticides used for wildlife management of all things uh, really seem to have wiped out so many species of bird and reptile and amphibians that rely on insects and other arthropods. Uh, that means bugs that aren't insects. In other words, bugs that have more than uh, six legs. Um, these are all killed off by these pesticides. And so as a result, things like purple martins, eastern bluebird, Kestrel, which is a tiny falcon in our area, the screech owl, certainly the northern cricket frog, uh, these were wiped out. The reason that the northern cricket frog, it's my own um, hypothesis, it's difficult to prove because you sort of need to get an old 1985 DeLorean car and uh, a quantum physicist and go back in time in order to prove it. But uh, my own theory for why these cricket frogs managed to stay around at this one reservoir in New York state when they were wiped out virtually everywhere else is because it is a reservoir. And as such, it was uh, to a very good degree spared these uh, insecticide pesticides that were used for gypsy moth control throughout the sixties and seventies. And as such, the vast populations and wide frightfully wide diversity of insects in the swampy areas of that reservoir um, persisted. There are insects in that reservoir that occur almost nowhere else in this state. And again, that's because it's one of the few regions where this uh, pesticide was not applied. And as a result of this continued high insect composition in that those swamps and marshes of the Glenmare Reservoir in Florida, New York, the uh, Eastern cricket frog has persisted there, as have many other really interesting critters. And um, so not too far away from there, we're talking about the Pulpit Rock Inn Hotel, which we hope to do something similar with, and that is to increase the habitat value to bring in many, many more animals to attract uh, to, to the site so that, that more people get to enjoy them. So we talked about the birds that we're going to help with nesting boxes. I mentioned the purple martins. We'll also have bluebird boxes, a bluebird trail along the western end of it that goes along a stone wall to an open field, which is just what bluebirds like. And uh, bluebirds pass through there every year, twice a year. They stay around through the summer nesting elsewhere. So we'd like to get them to stay much in the way that the... Uh, uh, hotel planners would like to get people who visit Warwick for the great attractions here to stay in Warwick overnight to uh, stay a little longer and spend a little more money. That's not my purview. I'm here for the nature stuff. As I always joke around with Stephen Keeter, the project sponsor, I'm the frog and turtle guy. Um, so one of the other things we're doing to both attract and retain and then increase the populations of local birds, especially interesting at-risk birds, is we're going to have a thistle garden, and thistles are kind of spiny little flowers, beautiful purple flowers that have really beautiful seeds in August and September. So the goldfinch is a local finch, as you'd guess, those bright, bright yellow birds with the black wings that we see throughout the summer. They're here throughout the winter, too, visiting people's bird feeders. But in the winter, their plumage changes to an olive drab. So they look very um, military during the winter. And then this is the time of year when we start seeing the spots of bright yellow coming through. <clears throat> and uh, so we'll have thistle plantings. Now, these birds are obligate thistle eaters. They're interesting. They're one of the only birds in our region that nest only in the late summer as opposed to in the springtime like other birds do. Why would they do that? Well, that's when the thistles have seeds. And even with people feeding them thistles all through the winter, that doesn't change that. These are things that are genetically embedded into them that, uh, you know, it's part of their clock. So we're going to have thistle plantings 
for these goldfinches to stay around and nest and also for guests and Warwick residents to enjoy. Now, you might think, okay, well, it's a hotel, so there's parking. And of course, in this case, it's going to be a pervious sur uh, surface parking so as not to increase water runoff toward the way we on the creek down the hill from it. Um, how will residents get there? Residents will be able to use the same parking area with the same high security, and there will be walking paths both around the perimeter of the property with stations, actually little kiosks, uh, letting people understand what it is they're seeing, what trees and plants, and what animals they might see at those stations. And then there will be walking paths at least one through the center uh, where we're going to have considerably different plantings. The rock itself, pulpit rock, is a big, beautiful piece of what we call palisade stone. And it was uh, said to have been brought there, archaeologists and um, people say that it was brought there by the glacier that moved it from the Hudson River, from those same Palisade stones that we see uh, near the George Washington Bridge on the New Jersey side, and dropped it in this field. And if you drive around here, you'll see many analogous stones to this one in fields, usually laying on their sides. This one, as um, a friend of mine who is a, an archaeologist said its verticality the fact that it stands up uh, straight makes it very unique to see and it's quite pretty so the rock and its relatively high ph of that kind of stone lends itself very 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 well to plantings of prickly pear cactus what a lot of people don't understand is that the prickly pear cactus is a native cactus native to this part of the world in fact they grow in many wild areas around here typically on high ridge lines on rocks similar to this and they especially love the slate in this area for some reason and so we've already begun we have a lot of prickly pear cactus what we call pads the leaves they're dormant this time of year ready to plant right on the rock on the many crevices and shelves of it and then in the Early summer, these will have the beautiful, enormous yellow blossoms. And then following that through the late summer, the actual prickly pear fruit, these beautiful bright red little fruits that are like, um, they almost look like rather large, shiny strawberries. And these are edible. The leaves themselves are edible. And uh, even the blossoms are edible. Uh, but who would want to eat a blossom and rob the plant and maybe ourselves of a, a nice prickly pear berry? So. Well, these will be planted on the site to let people see these up close and personal, hopefully not touching them because they leave terrible spines in your finger. And we're, we're also planting the highest biodiversity plantings anywhere in the Hudson Valley of plants. So the highest uh, diversity of plant types. Now, a lot of people say, come on, how's that possible? A little, you know, barely 10 acre site uh, two-thirds of which will be wild and open and plantable. It's not very difficult. As we see from the model of Central Park in New York City, all that's required is understanding the soil types, what can go in there, and making the appropriate plantings, and then managing them. Now, in Central Park, it's a lot easier than it is here because of one thing, and it's interesting, You'll rarely, if ever, see any ecologist uh, in a scientific journal mention the fact that Central Park and other city parks in New York City have one great advantage over wild areas like this, what we see in the Hudson Valley, uh, you know, outside of the city, and that is that they don't have white-tailed deer down there. And the Virginia white-tailed deer, otherwise just known as the white-tailed deer, as one of my first guests on the show, uh, ecologist and environmental educator Michael Mallon had said, is one of the greatest drivers of ecological change in our region. And this isn't necessarily good change unless, of course, you're a white-tailed deer. White-tailed deer are very, uh, very open herbivores. They eat just about everything. We say they're non-specific general herbivores. As any homeowner knows or any gardener knows in this region, there's precious little in the way of plants that a deer will not eat. And sadly, with every year, it seems like there's a new plant that they previously didn't eat, you know, that you'd see sold in hardware stores and nurseries as a deer-proof plant with a big tag on it with a picture of a deer with a circle and a slash through it that suddenly they eat. You know, it's funny, uh, I'm an ecologist and I went through this 
about 10 years ago, I bought a bunch of beautiful, I'm trying to remember what they were exactly. They looked like a white cedar, but they were a different strain. They had the big anti-deer uh, tags all over them. They were said to be absolutely deer proof. I was doing a project uh, for my mom on her property. I planted these things a week later. They were stripped down to twigs. This is how voracious our white-tailed deer are. And sadly, because of the near absence of predators to this animal in this region, the great shelter they get uh, on our lawns, the great food source they find in suburban areas, these things have overpopulated our region severely. It's incredibly unnatural. As a result, it's hard to get high diversity planting. So at the Pulpit Rock site, we will have extensive deer exclosure. And after a quick word from our sponsor, we're gonna talk a little more about that. Sam's Meat Warehouse is a butcher with old-time family values. Remember back in the day when people knew their butcher by name and visiting them was a social experience? They would talk to customers about how to cook a piece of meat to perfection. Sam's combines old-world methods with modern techniques. Call your favorite butcher, Sam's, at 845-651-MEAT or visit the store right off 17A in Florida, New York for the highest quality products at unbeatable prices. Hi, this is Tom Lovelace. Join me and my guest every Saturday morning at 10 a.m. for the Lovelace Music Experience. Exciting interviews and great music from every genre. Right here, playing the best music. Hi, this is Brian Baird, host of Million Dollar Feeling. Heard every Saturday at 9 a.m. Join me and my guests and learn how you can let go of your past and create a future filled with a million dollar feeling. Saturdays at 9 a.m. And we're back with Tales and Trails. This is Jay Westerveld, your host on our weekly show about nature and recreation and culture and things global, things local. And this is sort of a bringing it all back home episode where I'm talking about the project here in Warwick, New York, the Pulpit Rock Inn Boutique Hotel project that sort of made this radio show start. Uh, the fellow who's the project sponsor, uh, Stephen Keeter, had reached out to me after I'd written a letter to the editor of the local paper here, suggesting that this project uh, isn't some big ecological evil. I'd never met Mr. Keeter, knew nothing about him prior to that. And uh, frankly, I didn't say this in the letter, but I was offended that this tiny pseudo grassroots group of uh, would-be activists were asking me to get involved and when i told them that look there's nothing ecologically sensitive there and p.s where were you people over the 10 previous years where i've been fighting really uh ugly development on really ecologically sensitive sites that needed help and these people were nowhere to be found even when in many cases i'd reached out to many of these same individuals they then just asked me well can you release some endangered species there to help us fight this project. And that's illegal, that's unethical, and uh, I was really disgusted. I saw red, it still upsets me. And um, interestingly, a few years prior to that, some people uh, who I thought were unrelated to this group who were fighting another project in Goshen, New York, the Legoland project, um, they reached out to me and asked me to do the same thing. So I thought, well, this is kind of funny. I didn't know I was uh, some kind of bio geisha uh, who just you know does the whim of uh, any client. It was kind of strange. Those people exist. I'm not one of them. Um, I'm a straight up scientist. I am not an activist and I am not for hire for that kind of thing. Um, I'm really, you know, I do actual research and education and that's it. So it's, it's been, it, it's been a cringeworthy episode, uh, dealing with these people at all. And what then happened was there were, there was a spate of letters to the editor deriding me, deriding the project sponsor, because you know, that's how it is here in the 21st century. If you disagree with a person or if a person doesn't do your bidding, well, then that person is Satan. I mean, you just tear them apart and that's what happened. 
And that's really sad. You know, I grew up in or what I thought was a community where people could discuss things openly. And if they disagreed on something, they respected each other's stance and, you know, maybe bought another round of beers or, you know, talked about something else. That's not the, uh, that's not the world in which we find ourselves now. We, we now find a world where if, if your politics, your beliefs aren't absolutely aligned with my own, then you, my friend, are a piece of shizzle and I'm gonna tear you apart wherever I can. And my God, they've invented social media where I can do that to no end. And that's what these people do. So, you know, I was putting up with that. Mr. Keeter reached out to me, said he'd, he'd like to hear more about my ideas for the site. He asked me to please come uh, aboard his team of people who are trying to make this something exemplary. And the plans as we have them now truly are for something extraordinary. I was just talking about the various uh, eco-integrative features that we're doing on this site, the Pulpit Rock Inn Boutique Hotel in Warwick, New York. It's before the town planning board. And um, there was, again, this absolutely hysterical opposition uh, totally unbased in any kind of science and they seem to have disappeared now uh, which is nice but I you know I'd rather people be noisy than just be silent and lurking about and these people don't seem to have a lot of, of other things to do with their time but we don't worry about them now we just talk about moving forward and a lot of the positive features I should mention that quite a few people who were initially involved reached out to me and got together with me and told me, Jay, if I knew that you guys were gonna be doing all these ecologically wonderful things, and if I hadn't listened to the abject lies of that initial opposition group, I would have been on board. I would have never signed that ugly petition they had, et cetera, but that's okay, bygones. Uh, we live, we learn. So I was talking about some of the insectivores, uh, insectivores uh, that we've lost in our region that this project wants to help bring back, the trails that we're going to have to allow people to see them. People are going to be able to just park there, use the parking site, uh, residents of Warwick with a permit that will have four just residents to have in their car. We're gonna have a lot of security site-wide um, so that they can come and enjoy the nature things. Now, we know, uh, Many of us are pet owners. I certainly am. People need a place to walk their dogs. In Warwick, it's difficult to find one. They have some degree of dog facilities at the town parks. At this place, we're going to have a dog playground with specific features, sort of like what you'd see in a terrain park uh, for snowboarding or for mountain biking, uh, specific features for dogs. And there's going to be actually areas for small dogs, and specifically areas for large dogs because they don't always get along that well together. And as any dog owner knows, often the problem is the small dogs start bossing the big dogs around. Um, it's, it's going to be unlike anything else Warwick's ever had, and that's good for the dog owners. It's also good for the environment because maybe this keeps a lot of people from bringing their dogs out into wild areas, chasing things around or leaving poop where Maybe I want to walk and don't want to track that into my car. So having a nice doggy playground is a place where people can pick up after the dogs easily. The bags will be supplied. The area with which to dispense the doggy poop bags will be there. So it will really keep things a lot nicer around the town and the village at large. This uh, hotel will stand right on the edge of the village. To that end, uh, my favorite feature, in fact, a lot of people with whom we speak about this project agree, uh, maybe the coolest feature is the pedal to paddle, wherein any resident of the town, including people in the village, of course, can just jump on a bicycle, have a carbon neutral outing whereby they hop on their bicycle, bicycle over to the pulpit rock site, lock their bicycle on our bicycle rack, which is of course locking, walk over to the canoe and kayak rack, which is lockable, unlock their own canoe, canoe or kayak, and then go out paddling for the day. What a cool way to spend the day. Bicycle to the site, especially a nice sunny day like we have today. Grab your kayak, which is safely locked away with security cameras, and go out paddling, come back and bicycle home. No need to start the car. No one else has offered anything like that in this region, really in this state as far as I know. The uh, pedal to paddle is our own uh, trademarked idea and name and this will be a part of the site we already have the area set aside for the racks 
where people come in, the little bicycle path right to it. Of course, you can walk in too, or just drive into the parking lot and walk over. But we love the idea of pedal to paddle so that residents have a place to lock their bicycle when they want to go paddling or even hiking around the area. It's gonna be quite nice. Um, the way we onto Creek is the creek on which people will be paddling there. Interestingly, there is a good trout population there. There was historically a very strong population of native brook trout and then some stocked brown trout, some rainbow trout, but uh, European brown trout are in there. I should say Eurasian because brown trout occur well into Asia, especially Eurasia as well. And we want to both improve that by stocking more native brook trout there. And we're already in talks with trout hatcheries. And we also want to have improved areas for fly fishing where we remove some of the tree branches and some of the undergrowth and have a little deck from which people who aren't maybe people who own chest waders who go out to Montana or Wyoming fly fishing all the time, they can still go out there in their Air Jordans and uh, enjoy casting a, a dry fly out onto the way we and maybe bring in a trout. Now, fly fishing isn't terribly easy. Uh, I'm fortunate. I grew up in a family of fly fishermen going back multiple generations. What we will have is scheduled fly fishing lessons at this site. So we'll actually have a spot where people can come in, work with a fly fishing expert, as long as the, the guests coming in are either guests of the hotel or residents of Warwick. This is very useful in that we don't have a million people milling about this site, just people who are Warwick taxpayers and also people staying at the hotel will be allowed to do that. Again, one of a kind nature opportunity. We're very excited about that. We're also excited about our interpretive nature trail with little kiosks telling people what sort of plants they're seeing and what sort of animals they might see. And also having locavore picnics, meaning little picnics where you eat food from local farms and things of that nature. This is still in planning stages because we're going to be using the uh, reprise of the old historic pioneer uh, carriage system for bringing people to local uh, farms. We have two great agritainment centers in Warwick, and these are an even bigger deal as you get into late summer and autumn. On the far western end of town, on the western border, there is Pennings uh, Farm Market, which is massive. It's fun. It's very progressively well-developed, very a 20th century feel with an actual pub with great beers and a great, great food, ice cream stand and a lot of fun things to do there and an, and an extensive nursery and gardening center. On the other end of town, on the eastern end, as you come in from the town of Chester, New York, is the Wright Family Farm, which has a corn maze, or as a Native American would say, a maize maze, um, through which people can walk around and uh, enjoy. They have a lot of cool kids stuff. They don't have a pub. They don't have a full service restaurant per se. They have burgers and uh, hot dogs, but so many fun things for kids to do. Uh, my own child just absolutely loves the cow train, the hay rides, the pumpkin picking, which is absolutely some of the best in the Hudson Valley. And uh, so much to do at the Wright Family Farm. Both of these, uh, you can Google uh, penning, Pennings Farm Market and Wright, W-R-I-G-H-T, Family Farm. And um, so we'll have coaches that bring people really, you know, probably electric buses that bring people from the Pulpit Rock Inn Boutique Hotel out to these sites. There will be so many great nature things to do, and I'm just barely scratching the surface. But this show is really about getting people outdoors, getting people healthy, and the opportunities afforded that to residents and hotel guests alike uh, with this, this project are phenomenal. So please uh, keep an eye on Pulpit Rock, pulpitrockin.com, and uh, you'll see us on Facebook. And next week, we'll see you here at Tales and Trails, where we'll have a very interesting guest talking about a mountain bike park. <music>